When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Content Creator's Guide. This is a place where we expand our knowledge on what it takes to be successful in an ever-expanding world of content creation. Join me as I sit down with individuals sharing their success stories and tips that help them get over the hurdles they faced on their journey to creation success. All right, let's create. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Content Creators Guide. I will be your host, Patrick Conway, also known in other circles as Jaxus. Today, I'm talking to someone who actually got me back into content creation. He may not even know that, but uh, listening to his show, Chad Fallout 76 Story Podcast, which has over well over 600,000 downloads and his work with the Fallout for Hope Foundation, which is, a, uh, from what I understand, you created that. Um, has raised more than $400,000 since December 2020, closing in on half a million dollars before the end of the year. That's money for St. Jude's Hospital, uh, the Alzheimer's Association, and Project for Hope, the UK Crisis Global Relief Fund, which you know was something that I, I was really happy we did something about that. And uh, this man is an inspiration to all who know him. Please give me a warm welcome to a true humanitarian, and an overly humble individual, Kenneth Vigue. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, uh, oops, I was hitting the wrong button there. Uh, I don't really beat around the bush. I try to get right into the question. So uh, my first question for you is, what inspired you to get into content creation? Uh, this goes back a long way. Uh, if we're going back to the very beginning, I think when I was four or five, I saw an episode of Mr. Wizard's World. Now we're, we're really going back in the time machine here. It was a, a kid's show that uh, had an, an elderly guy who's like your, your elementary school science teacher named Don Herbert. And he would always do these kind of wacky uh, science quasi-magic experiments. There was one episode that he did uh, that was focused on magic tricks. So uh, I started playing around, um, pretending to do magic. I got books on magic from the school library. Um, and I started doing magic shows for my family in my <laughs> living room. I um, learned the floating card trick when I was about like eight years old. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did the one with the, uh, you cut the hole out of the bottom of a box and make it look like a severed finger. That oh was, yeah. 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 Catch yeah. <laughs> up on cotton. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so if we're going back to the beginning, that's kind of where I started. Uh, when I was in uh, middle school, I got into uh, theater, 
um, doing different plays and musicals. And then uh, at the tail end of high school, um, we had a, a pretty successful local access comedy show. That was a variety-based show that ran each week uh, in eight different towns in northeastern Massachusetts. And uh, that lasted for, I think, a season and a half. And then we'd graduated high school. Um, I worked in some independent film, um, did a few plays outside Boston, kind of off-Broadway stuff, uh, and then gave it all up. Um, I got uh, defeated with rejection um, as far as doing anything with film or theater or even writing, creative writing of any kind, um, getting work published. So I kind of put all that away um, to focus on career. And it would be almost 20 years before uh, I discovered uh, Fallout 76 as, as the muse that got me started again in a really unexpected way. Yeah, it wasn't something I counted on. It just kind of happened. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I thought I was uh, done with with writing, uh, and clearly that's that's not the case. Thank goodness you found that, because, I mean, honestly, your show has been an inspiration for so many other content creators, including myself. Um, I was just kind of trudging through the internet, whatnot, and I had found Fallout 76, and I found this, like, really interesting element to it and then i was like well i've been listening to a lot of podcasts and i just out of the blue typed in fallout podcasts and then out of nowhere here comes this chad fallout you know 76 podcast and i started listening to it and i'm like wow this is really compelling stuff and i couldn't stop i just kept listening to it and you know through you i found the robots radio network and got plugged into this huge community and you know, I've, I've been off to the races ever since then, but it was really you that started all that for me. And I, I didn't know if you even knew that, but that that's kind of, I didn't. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I did radio 20 years ago, you know, I, I was doing internet radio when it wasn't really a thing, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I stopped doing that because I kind of lost my, my spark. You know, I, I didn't feel like coming on going, hello, ladies and gentlemen, da -da -da -da, blah, 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 every day, you know, I got, kind of tired of doing that because it just got blase and then um i listened to you and it just kind of wow you know i could still do this maybe i can find a different way to do it where i don't feel so cookie cutter or plastic you know and then i started doing this show here you know started with the fallout round table with those guys and hanging out with them and it was so much fun i'm like i'm just gonna keep creating i'm just gonna find another way to create and then maybe I can help other people learn how to do it. And that's how I got into this. And it was because of you. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's also both ironic and sad that we both had this moment where we gave up something that we kind of loved. Right. Because we couldn't feel like we could do anymore. I think no, there was like a brick wall. Anything um, with creativity, be it writing, photography, filmmaking, radio, there's. Um, a need to be seen and heard inherent in all of us. Um, I think creatively minded people even more so. I just and think we have a certain level of vanity we can't get away from. <laughs> I don't even think it's, it's vanity. 
I think, um, I think in my case, it's just feeling like you have a story to tell and you really want to show someone something to, to take them on a journey, to get them to think about something differently, to laugh, to cry, whatever you're, you're trying to do. There's an altruistic attempt at connection beyond speech that is one of the most um, compelling and complete ways that we can complete uh, com connect with each other as human beings. It's the reason that storytelling as a medium has existed as long as we've had uh, a fire <laughs> that right. we could gather around. Um, it, it shapes our memory, the way we see the world. It tells us parables and stories, um, things to believe in, what not to believe in, and what to be cautious of. Um, I think if, if you're a creator screaming into a void, heard by none and seen by none, you can only go on so long creating for nothing and no one before it eventually eats you. Uh, and I think I got to that point. And then it's not something you lose, I've discovered, uh, because I believed I did. I thought that side of me creatively was dead and buried. I, I'm um, completely with you there. Yeah, I yeah, felt the same way. It's weird. It's like you, as we go through our lives, I think we're very much like an onion and we grow and change and we shed skins and pieces of ourselves. And then all of a sudden, one day, a knock on the door and it's a part of you that is very distinctly different from the rest of you that just kind of saunters back into your life and said, let's, let's make something here. And well, it's just that, that little spark that gets that ember going and you're like, oh, that fire is still there. It's just, you just needed to know that it was still there. You know, yeah, once that, once that little spark starts, it, it, you can't stop it. You know, and then you're off to the races. Yeah. Um, Fallout 76, in, I, I think I've been thinking a lot about why um, I was able to find that again after so long. And I, I think it was a combination of a few different elements. Fallout 76 in its first year um, was distinctly different than it is today. Oh, uh, it, yes. it had uh, not the easiest launch. Um, <laughs> but for me, uh, it created a unique opportunity, a unique set of ingredients um, as far as creativity goes. For one thing, there was no NPCs. Um, which is very different. I've been playing Fallout since Fallout 3. And in all of the previous games, you know, you have kind of a, a structured narrative with the choices um, largely up to you or the illusion of choice, where we feel like our choices are impacting the world in a specific way. And really, it's, it's a main story branch that kind of all ends up in the same place. You just kind of have different ways of getting there. Uh, right. With Fallout 76, it's kind of like, okay, Reclamation Day out into the wasteland and it's just you and other real people which creates um an unscripted unplanned amount of interaction with other real people um be it positive role play or negative role play to create your own stories and i think in the vacuum of a specific story that i 
was having force fed to me, um, where you're a particular character on a particular journey. In this one, in Fall of 76, you know, you, there's a story that you're kind of following, but everything else, the day-to-day, -day, the side quests are you. It's you creating your own experience. Um, I think it created a sandbox for me to start thinking of the character and what I would do. And, and then, you know, out comes Simon and out comes Chad as characters. Uh, and then it just kind of snowballs from there. Yeah, I mean, other than the Overseer's tapes and whatnot that you're following along with, there really isn't a whole lot to go on in 76 until they did bring in the NPCs and they added a little bit more story to it. But from the perspective of what you had, you had nothing but an open slate and your creativity <laughs> just went wild. And that, yeah. it's so impressive. I mean, it, it's I, I can't say enough about that element of it. Um, when you start, when you first started, uh, what was your biggest hurdle getting started, like doing the podcasting thing? I mean, did you have any experience with podcasting before this or anything like that? And like, None. what was the hardest I, part for you? Yeah. Like, I think you, uh, in radio probably had more experience than I did. Probably. Um, I, I grew up listening to, uh, old time radio, um, I, I have old time records that I collect. We're talking like Golden Age, like the Lone Ranger and the Dark oh, Shadow yeah. stuff. Golden and all that. Ranger, yeah, yeah. The uh, gold, the uh, uh, God, what is it? Uh, not Dark Shadow, the Shadow. Um, what else? Lights Out, um, the Whistler. Um, okay, yeah. A lot of those those old school shows are just beautifully composed soundscapes. That take you on a Dick really Tracy. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. that that medium. They mastered this beautiful way of creating vivid visuals through sound alone. And you just kind of sit there and you listen and you 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 can see the action in your mind's eye with really clever audio. Um, particularly one person who I, I really looked up to is Arch Obler, who wrote for uh, Lights Out. Who I is largely forgotten today, but some of his work for Lights Out um, shaped a lot of horror film tropes that came in film and TV after that, that first were born in radio. Hmm. Um, Utilizing really, different elements of sound to create an environmental feel as you're going through the clanking chains and the creaky doors. and Not even just in sound, but the way in which sound worked together with a script to to tell a unique story mm -hmm. um okay. so when i got started uh, aside from a love of audio and kind of that that sound in my head that i grew up with i didn't have any background in creating an audio production of any kind so the story was was easy because i'd started writing these journal entries uh, that i was sharing on reddit that that blew up um, and hadn't started, planned on starting anything as far as a podcast or machinima or something. But um, the community feedback, people were saying, you should you should do something that's like publish a book with these and, or tell a story. So uh, the Fallout is an owned IP, so you can't just, you know, go right. publish a book off their work. But a podcast was doable. Um, so I did the first episode of the podcast as kind of a trial balloon even see how it would go and see if I could even create something myself. Um, I did, and it uh, blew up uh, as far as listening goes. 
Um, and then I just kind of continued on for there with episodes two and three. Um, and then by episode four, I brought in a, a full ensemble cast instead of it just being me um, telling these audio log kind of stories. Uh, in a first so at first, first it wasn't a, like a full on drama. You actually did just a, a, like a narrative form. Yep. Just um, so I did them as almost like found hollow tapes. Okay. Uh, so you you pop the hollow tape into your Pip <clears throat> Boy and you're hearing the story of of Simon, um, who's currently at the end of his story, explaining to you how things happened the way that they did, uh, and why he is dying. So we our story kind of starts at the end and we've we've been building up to that point ever since yeah and it, it, i've heard it i just was leading into that <laughs> oh and uh, by the way folks kenneth is not just a name he has a face but um apparently his rabbit decided he wanted to chew on some wires today so we don't get to see right. his face. just throwing that out there anyway <laughs> so as far as hurdles go you know i mean Nothing really got in your way other than the fact you'd never done this before. Did you have any technical issues? I think the the biggest learning curve for me um, was getting the sound right. I had a, a vision in my head of how I wanted the show to sound. Um, and it's taken us a little bit to get there. How I envisioned the show sounding um, was a, a combination of that kind of fully immersive soundscape experience um, from old-time radio, coupled with a more modern cinematic approach. Um, because podcasts, I think, um, aren't for everybody at first. Um, I think a lot of stories, because of how we digest media, you have to have a certain amount of patience to get into a story and really sit down and commit to audio. Especially so without, also, yeah, without a visual element. Right. And yeah. I, I think that's, uh, for a lot of people, like, is a, a retooling of your brain a little bit to have something that's audio only. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that for people who had never listened to podcasts before, I had a cinematic immersive sound experience that was so rich, you couldn't help but see visual imagery um, above and beyond just, you know, a clanking chain here or a, a scraping washboard there. I wanted something that was, uh, I would feel like they're, they're inside a movie or TV show. Something immersive. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what kind of microphones did you choose to use? I mean, obviously at the very beginning, you may not have gotten the best of the best, but um, what do you like for capturing sound from the voice? Yeah, when I first started, uh, I was on a Blue Yeti, oh, which was really? still a, a okay. really good microphone to start with. That's um, not if a bad I was one, gonna, yeah. If I was going to do it, I was going to do it right. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the end of uh, season one, I've upgraded to a Shure SM7B here, which is what I'm on now. Yeah, that's... I, uh, I love I, this microphone. I, I love the Shure. Uh, now, me, I got the Shure MV7, yep. which is the slight downgrade to the one that you have. And honestly, I can't tell the difference. Um, yeah, to me, it that's such a beautiful, uh, rich, crisp sound. crispy, full yeah. bodied sound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mine's attached via the, uh, USB. Uh, is yours XLR? It is. Yep. 
Okay, so there, there's a, obviously going to be a difference between the XLR and the USB, but not much. I found that it's actually not too much different. Yeah, Seems no, to work out this really microphone. Well. Yeah. Um, so uh, speaking of sound and audio, uh, what do you use for editing your show? Yeah, I use Adobe Audition. Adobe um, Audition, okay. Yep. I had it already in my suite because uh, I, we own a, a marketing company, um, which uh, is has been helpful as far as getting the show out there. Um, but uh, I had Adobe Audition in my suite and started playing around with that. Um, oh, that reminds me. So I, as far as the sound that I was going for, what took me a while to get it to sound like how I wanted to um, the, the first episode, and I've, I've pulled the fandom on this, um, people who listen to the show, because I kind of want to go back and remaster the first few because I was still learning mm -hmm. and to my ear, um, the, the sounds I was using, uh, were way too large and blown out. Like there's a, the very first sounds that you hear of Simon, um, walking through grass towards the front door. It sounds like I'm wearing trash bags on my feet. It's like too it's crunchy that. sounding. Yeah, it's too crunchy and loud. And yeah, yeah. It, that yeah. had a very old time radio sound. But like those those old time sounds were just so crisp and loud, um, and, and almost too over the top. Yeah. Um, folks, we're gonna go ahead and take a mid break here. I'm gonna go ahead and say. Thank you for listening to the show, and thank you for being all my Patreon listeners for your support. If you have not and would like to, go ahead and please follow, like, subscribe, and uh, write a review for my show so that I can get noticed by the you know rest of the internet world. And also, you can send me an email with your comments and questions at ccreatorsguide at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at ccreatorsguide. We'll be right back after this message and a short clip from today's talent. I'm your host, Maverick Stone. It's me, Gingerino42. I'm Roman. Hey, this is Sassy Lady. And I'm Jaxus. And we, we are the Fallout Rounding. Join us as we explore various topics from the Fallout universe brought from multiple perspectives. We can be found on your favorite podcatchers from Spotify to iTunes. Or follow us on Twitter at FalloutRTB or our email FalloutRTB at gmail.com. Be sure to rate, follow, and subscribe. Thank you. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed the message. Uh, we're going to play a little short clip. Kenneth, do you want to go ahead and set up that clip for everybody so they know what's going on? Yes. All right. So when we first started these, um, I wanted uh, to have random breaks in the episodes to inject what I think are some of the, the funniest bits from Fallout. It's those vintage old-time commercials. Um, when Fallout 3 first launched, they did a series of just random teaser clips. Um, the Fat Man Nuclear Tactical Catapult uh, with this kid <laughs> just getting this nuclear device. Um, I love the era of the 1950s um, for the kinds of commercials that they would put out because they're just so damned endearing. Now, this was the early era of Madison Avenue. So um, the tricks and trappings to get us to buy as consumers were not there because they didn't have to be. To get someone to buy a product, it literally just had to be as simple as buy it today. 
because it works. It just works. <laughs> it, it was that simple. Um, and it was always done with kind of a wink and a nod. So um, some of the commercials that we've done, and we've, we've done several of these at this point, take uh, mundane places or objects in uh, Fallout 76 and parry to them, sometimes in original ways, other times in direct homage to an iconic commercial. This one is for perfectly preserved pie. So it's, it's the scenario set up in which a, a typical businessman is coming home talking about the office uh, and the guys at the office. Uh, and the wife uh, is talking all about her pie. Um, and there is is a really cheeky bit of hilarity in terms of double entendre, which is something that the 50s also does really well. Because the 50s is such an era of innocence, it, it allows you to kind of dip into that a little bit in a humorous way. This is, hands down, our most re-listened to section of any episode we've ever done is this uh one minute 31 second commercial here all right let's give it a listen honey i'm home i'm in the kitchen jim say what's that amazing aroma why it's my plump and delicious pie Ooh, gee whiz, Susan, that's one moist-looking pie. But what's the occasion? Well, Jim, lately I've noticed you sneaking next door every time Miss Robbins takes her pie out. But, Susan... A man should eat pie in his own home, served up piping hot. Here, try this. Oh, heavenly days, McGee. Look at all those plump and flaky layers. What's your secret? A lady never talks about her pie, Jim. Just try a bite. Mmm. 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 Poor mouthwater tastes. Mmm. Incredible. Mmm. It's perfect. Just one juicy bite, and even the neighbors won't stop eating my pie. Mmm. Mm. Wait till the fellas down at the office hear about this. I have enough pie for all of them, Jim. Invite them over tomorrow evening. I'll make sure you land that big promotion. Oh, Susan. Yes, Jim. Your pie is perfect. Yes, I know. And ladies, between you and me, the secret is all in the box. Ask your grocer for new perfectly preserved pie mix from Whamco. <laughs> oh, I love the pie references. I just, uh, I, I like when you can take things that are promiscuous and somewhat like provocative and you can make it innocent by just changing the way it's presented and i like the way they do that to where like your adult can totally understand the the other element and a kid would never even it wouldn't even cross their mind and we were so much better at doing things that way uh back then because you know nowadays it's almost like you just throw it near everybody's faces and it's it's not as creative yeah i, th I think we've we've lost the art of subtlety to a degree <laughs> where you can uh, get a laugh and get some humor out of it. This, this uh, hilarious bit of nonsense is also a perfect example of um, the kind of story journey I wanted to take people on. Because as much as we are deeply rooted in dark humor, when you think about what makes Fallout what it is, 
it is a roller coaster ride of complete wacky nonsense with this dark undercurrent. Um, and you're going from laughing to hearing something really brutal to finding, you know, someone who died in a tragic way. That's really what fallout is. And mm. so in structuring the stories of the podcast in every episode, I want people to go from, um, you know, being sad about what's happening to connecting with a character to laughing, to feel happiness. Um, and I, I like to take a break um, from doing a really serious scene and bring people back down again, almost like a roller coaster. So you inject something like this ridiculous pie commercial and you get a little bit of emotional release and then you come back down and you take people on the story again. It's that's what it is for me. That's what I felt um, so compelled in the, to listen to more is because I felt like I was constantly going from a high to a low to a high, you know, and just back and forth. And it was in a way that was pleasing. Like it, it wasn't like abrupt and or hard or harsh. It felt like a nice ride, you know, and everything I like just getting to know all the different characters and, you know, <laughs> Brian kills me. <laughs> Just he's so clueless. But <laughs> Brian is partly based on a real person. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> but it's just that so was... interesting how that all works out, and it was just so cool for me. Um, what what went through your head when you were coming through with the name for your show? Um. Well, this is a bit of a funny story. So when I first started writing it, um, the the punchline is Simon just hating this titular Chad character so much every episode ended mm -hmm. with fuck Chad. Um, <laughs> and even his, in his journals, he would say that. And so the first original title of the show was actually that. Um. So the first episode when I dropped it uh, had that as the title uh, and Apple kicked it back as obviously that wouldn't fly. And <laughs> you're like, okay, how do I figure out a way around this? Let me, let me reel <laughs> myself in a little bit because the, the original journal entry stories are, are way more out there than the story um, I ended up where we are today. Um, so I just dropped it and simply kept it as Chad. And that, that's sometimes how it works, you know, and, and that's one of the things about podcasting and things like that, keeping it simple, but stating exactly what you want people to notice being a story podcast. It's about Chad, you know, yeah. Chad and Simon. So that kept it simple and it was easy to understand. And I don't think anybody was confused by what they were getting into. Um, now I want to kind of turn take a little veer here. I want to go more into your charity elements. What was your inspiration for fallout for hope? Yeah. After, um, after the show really took off, um, and Bethesda really started, um, throwing a spotlight on us. Um, I got to know a lot of people in the community that way. Um, a few of the people, uh, at different, times needed some help the the first situation that came up was doc cj martin who's um, a role player on console and uh in the early years 
there were some really unusual kind of unique role players coming out of the community that Bethesda was paying attention to. And Doc CJ uh, role played as a medic. So, you know, in character, he'd be down at Fisher Prime as we're doing Scorch Beast Queen runs. He'd be running around, you know, providing people with medical supplies, administering first aid. Um, so he became really well known in the community just for that. And he never broke character. It was remarkable. Um, in real life, uh, unfortunately, his, his house caught fire. And in getting his family out to safety, he suffered severe third-degree burns, um, smoke inhalation. Um, there was a, a 1950s-style, um, one of those, those plasticky kind of sun porch deals. Mm -hmm. um, it caught fire, of course, and melted. Uh, and so sections of, of burning plastic coming on down on him, you know, ah, not, yeah. not good. Yeah. yeah. So it was a, it was not good. Um, so we got the community together and started to go fund me. Uh, that went viral with donations pouring in from all over the world, um, including some by Bethesda employees to help him. So not only did we pay his medical bills, but uh, we also were able to pay for the repair work on his house. Um, oh, wow. That, That's great. So once that happened, um, I was just kind of blown away by us being able to rally like that to support someone. During COVID, um, basically a medic was a streamer and a good friend. She uh, works as a real life first responder. She's a paramedic. And her, it was this bizarre scenario in which her town, um, the town planner, um, there was embezzlement going on. Ooh. So because of all of that, um, no, when she, no, when she got COVID, um, of course she couldn't work as a paramedic and there was no funds. She wasn't getting a paycheck either. Um, she was in kind of dire straits. Um, utilities were being shut off. Her car was about to be repossessed the very next day. So we got the community together again, put together a GoFundMe, um, and got her, her car payments caught up and her utilities bills squared away. Um, so, and once again, it went worldwide. Um, it, as the end of 2020, uh, started coming around, that was just a really awful year um you know with the covid pandemic and the shutdown um feeling disconnected from people you know social strife people arguing it was just it was a terrible year and as it started to come to the end i felt like i was going to the holiday season just not feeling the holiday season at all and i wanted to try and for myself do something positive so that at least something good came out of a year that was just completely not good bring some light to the world yeah 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 and just feel good going into the start of a new one feel some optimism and some hope for the future and just hope in each other um and even to have faith in each other once again i didn't feel it at all that year so um kind of remember how you were at the beginning of that you seem to have changed a little bit. Yeah, that year wore on me uh, like it did a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. 
you kind of stepped away for a while too. Yeah. Yeah. I found it really hard uh, to, to keep up with a regular release schedule during that time. Yeah. Um, because it's, I just wasn't feeling writing. It was, it's hard to, to get yourself in that mindset. So it's it hard to feel cool. inspired when the world's bashing down on everybody. Yeah. Well, you know, when, when yeah. everything is going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> right. It's hard to sit down and write some dark humor. Mm. Um, so uh, I decided to do it for St. Jude and get together a few people. Um, I say a few people for There's streaming. A few thousand people, but yeah. <laughs> um, to get some people together for St. Jude just to raise some money and you know help some sick kids at the holidays. I thought um, St. Jude is, is something that we've supported privately for years. I love the work that they do. Um, the work that they've done in childhood life-threatening illnesses, the cancer work that they've done. Um, they've got some of the best leading cancer physicians that work through them in the entire world and it so, is yeah yeah and the work that they they do um they share worldwide uh they do not just work here in the united states they have satellite clinics all over the world helping kids saving lives um it's really lovely to see yeah so, there's no uh, bias and they it's an incredible foundation my family's been part of that for ever since i was born my mother had been donating to them since she was a child so. Yeah, and even now, uh, a developer at Bethesda, uh, her niece is being treated by St. Jude. So we found out she found out that we were doing this, and and she's been all about it this year. Um, yeah. But that first year, I I thought it would be you know a handful of people. It ended up being you know over two hundred and fifty people <laughs> that mm -hmm. ended up streaming with us that first year, uh, and it raised over a hundred thousand dollars in a week. And a half. Yeah, I think, I think the uh, first year I got involved, we did like three hundred thousand, something like that. No, that's uh, in total. Uh -oh. um, yeah, that was uh, last year, year two. We did, uh, I think it was one hundred and seventy thousand. So it came out to three hundred thousand. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was, um, that was an experience. It, it felt really good to be just to be part of that in some way. You know, it, it just feels good. You know, you feel like you're doing something instead of talking about it. A lot of people talk about it. Nobody seems to step up and do something. And that, I think that you'd, you'd asked me a question earlier, and I think that's the the answer that I'm going to give here at the end because I have a very particular philosophy when it comes to that. Oh yeah, I fully on I'm with you there. Um, but uh, I, I didn't, I didn't think that we'd raise as much as we did, um, and once the we passed the goal and it was the last day I went live and thanked everybody. And I just completely lost it. I remember that. I was I, an emotional. I was crying, crying with you. I was crying was, with you, uh, man. I think a lot of us were, cause I remember we were in the chat rooms, you know, and you were like there on a live stream with us. And as soon as the waterworks started coming from you, we were all just like, Oh, he's so great. Oh, you know, and just your humble nature, man. And the way that you communicate with us, it, we feel like family with you, you know, um, that's how we, all of us that I, think anyway it seems like that that we all feel like we're kind of connected in a way like we're just one big family and we're trying to help everybody we can and that's that's the connection i felt with 
that whole environment and follow it with hope for hope definitely uh gives that vibe yeah so um what is your ultimate goal with your charity work I know I give all the easy questions. I think what we started here is important. And I would like for it to continue and endure, even if at some point I don't. I feel you there. A legacy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so um, how hard is it to... Now, this is not so much for myself. This is a question for our content creators. Um, how hard is it to get into adding charity work to podcasting and streaming? Is it difficult? Um, is there an easy way to get into it? What What do you use? Uh, sorry, say that again? So, um, like, how hard is it to get into adding charity work to podcasting and streaming? Like, you know, like putting the programs in there, the overlays. I mean, is it really hard or do you just like, I mean, I know we use Tiltify, so. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing, um, and, and I'm, I'm going to give you two answers. Firstly, if you're, if you're running a podcast and you want to, to get into charity work, um, firstly, make sure that you're able to support the show that you're doing first. Um, you need to be able to, I mean, there's a cost to producing podcasts, particularly storytelling podcasts, where you have, um, you know, licensing of sound effects, commissioning of music, you've got advertising and production. And in some cases, um, if it's, you know, for profit and it's not based on an IP like Bethesda's, um, and it's a story that you, something original you've done, you know, you're, you're paying voice talent, all of that. So there's a cost to doing all that. Make sure you're able to sustain yourself before you feel comfortable giving back. I think a lot of times um, we get burned out because we have this need to get involved with charity work, um, but we don't make sure that we cover ourselves first. And that goes for, for streamers too. There's a lot of Twitch streamers who do quite a lot of charity work. And, you know, if you're doing that for a job, you need to pay your bills. <laughs> so as, as great as it is to do that, make sure that, that you're in a solid position, um, regardless of whether you're doing a podcast or you're a streamer, in order to do it. When you're ready, take the time to think about what kind of cause you want to do. Um, if you have a personal stake, a connection in, in a particular cause, something you feel really passionate about, stick to what you know, stick to what you, you believe in, because that becomes a part of your personal brand, your story. Um, for instance, there are, there are lots of veterans on stream, uh, who stream on Twitch, uh, on YouTube, content creators that do quite a lot for veterans funds. Uh, or they get involved with Toys for Tots. There's uh, a connection there that they feel that's personal. So start there with thinking about what you want to do. Next, um, try and find like-minded people. If you're a mega streamer um, and you have a huge audience, you probably don't need a great many to join you. If you do, it's great. Um, if not, 
your your bigger impact can really have when you start getting people together who are like-minded, who believe in the same cause you do, and just get together, support each other, and have fun doing it. Um, and then you can kind of continue growing it from there, um, which is really what Fallout for Hope is. Going into it, I wanted to make sure that if we were starting a charity initiative and having a team, it would be something that, regardless of how many followers you have, if you've never streamed for the first time, I want it to be accessible to everyone. And a lot of people who stream with us that first year, even last year, that were streaming for the very first time, now are, are streaming as proper streamers and also are doing charity work for other organizations, not just St. Jude, but they're kind of, they, they're, they get some knowledge and build their skill sets here and then they can go off and, you know, do their own thing, which is awesome too. Build some confidence. Yeah. I mean, cause yeah. for me, I'm, I'm not really a streamer. Mind you, I do go in there and I'll goof off from time to time, mm -hmm. but I've never like taken it very seriously cause I've got a lot going on. Um, but I do like the element of being able to learn from going through fallout for hope. I didn't know how Tiltify worked. I thought it was interesting to go through fallout for hope and, you know, you guys even had classes to teach us on how to put our overlays in and, you know, how to set everything up and made it really easy for us to get there. And I, I think it's a good stepping stool for anybody that want to do any kind of charity work is to actually kind of just connect yourself with one of these groups like fallout for hope. I'm sure there might be others out there, but um, that's the one I chose to, hook my wagon too and that's why i'm here so um so you seem to be always adding things to your charity side of what do you plan to do next like, um this is it oh okay so you're going to stick with like alzheimer's st jude's and... yeah I, I because um it it's posed a few problems um oh okay. i mean for for one thing um our team size has has grown significantly. We're going to end up with with almost six hundred streamers from eighty four countries uh, that joined us this year, which is just a gigantic, huge team, which is amazing. Um, but it becomes a problem in terms of our impact, more causes that we do, because of the scope and scale of this, we can't do this year round. Um, right. Originally, I only intended on Fallout for Hope being a once-a-year thing that we do uh, towards the end of the year, but we kind of ended up branching off. Uh, the American Heart Association had reached out to us last year, and we started doing something with them in May, June-ish. Mm -hmm. um, and then last year, voice actor Wes Johnson, who I've gotten to know quite a bit personally. He's a great um, guy. Really, yeah, absolutely. He's a real one. Genuine, genuine yeah, being incredible voice actor, but just a fantastic person, a great friend and mentor. Um, had asked me for some help with the voice of Palooza that he wanted to do for Alzheimer's. And uh, I was on a break at that point. Yeah, I remember you <laughs> telling me, been, I'm not doing anything right no, now. I was, I okay. was totally burned out uh, from, from last year's Fallout for Hope. And Wes came to me in, I think, late January and asked me about it. I was like, I can't say no to Wes Johnson. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, so are we going to stick with um, the Heart Association's Alzheimer's event and St. Jude? And are we still doing the Ukraine thing or as long as that's going? That will expire the end of this year. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then we'll, we'll wrap that campaign. 
we've been running that campaign uh, since February, since it started. Yeah, yeah. Kind of pop back and forth with that one through the other ones. I just keep bringing it back around. Yeah. Um. Well, let's see here. Kind of got lost. Huh? Got uh, I. Not I'm usually stuck on just ma major content creation and the technical side of things, but I wanted to make sure we touched heavily on the charity stuff because yeah. I think that's very important for people to know and understand how charity works, especially for streamers and you know different types of content creators out there. Um, what is a question you think content creators, like new content creators, they fail to ask when they have the opportunity in their life in front of somebody that is knowledgeable and you know really successful in the content creation world what's a question that they fail to ask and like what's the answer to that question where do i begin <laughs> okay yeah. um i, I think a, it, i'm i'm in a weird um and some some people ask this, this um but it doesn't really come up when when i have the chance to sit down with someone like you um i think there's a lot of creative people out there and it's always a struggle uh, to be seen. Um, whether you're a streamer on Twitch and you know you're trying to build up your base there, or YouTube, or you're you know you're launching a podcast, um, trying to to be seen uh, is a real challenge. Um, because we started early in Fallout seventy six uh, and had that you know that spotlight from Bethesda. Forbes magazine and some few other press articles that really helped get us in terms of awareness going. Um, a lot of people don't don't ask, you know, what what are the things I can do to to make me more visible or for um, game companies to notice me? Um, I think it comes down to an investment of time. So much um, of what I do on a day to day basis is just talk to people. Um, get to know people in the community, get to know the people who run communities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, no matter what game you're into, there's always like a Reddit community that you can get involved in um, or Facebook groups, Discord groups. Um, start to, to invest time into your socials and kind of rotate through making sure that you're not just putting stuff out there, you're also giving back to people that you can be an asset to and, and help them find something or reshare stuff that they're doing. Um, approaching things humbly can be really good in terms of just being able to form an authentic connection with people. And the more connections with people you form, the more you get to know people, you build friendships, it all becomes a real part of your, your support structure to help you to um, get your stuff out there. And the same is true for you. You're helping get their stuff out there. And it's just a group of people supporting each other. Uh, to and me, it's about relationships, yeah. It is, yeah. It's all yeah. relationship building. Um, yeah. It can really be helpful. As far as gaming companies go, gaming companies pay attention to the community. Um, community managers, it's their job to kind of monitor what's going on. So if you're if you're looking for um, that kind of validation or opportunities, take the time to find out who's in charge of influencers, um, who's in charge of content creators at that particular company, um, and then just reach out and introduce yourself. Let them know what you do, and also think about ways in which 
you can help them meet a particular goal. A good example of that is a marketing launch for a DLC or a new game. Um, if you're doing a story that's based in that universe, how can I do, you know, a spin-off um, or a one-off episode tied to that that happens to be riding that launch wave? In mm -hmm. which case, you're creating content that highlights that new game or DLC. And yeah. also, um, the game company is looking for, for community-created content all the time. So they can say, oh, look, you know, this person has built this crazy camp. Let's share a picture of this in Fallout 76. Right. Or uh, they created this really cool story. Or their cosplay is ridiculous. You need to see the cosplay they do on stream. Whatever it is that you're doing that's unique and creative, they're, they're on the hunt for that to reshare and, and show off and all of that. Create another um, marketing angle. Uh, yeah, well, I, it, marketing angle, but also it shows engagement. So it shows yeah. the kind of cool stuff that the community is doing and the way in which they're appreciating the DLC or the game that they're dropping. All right. And who do you go to when you have a question about content creation or how to do something? Um, I go to uh, the professionals who do it for a living. Um, some of them um, are community managers for game companies that oh. I bounce questions off of. Um, so you just reach out for the network that you've created over the years of talking to these game company professionals and things of that nature, huh? Yeah, well, I think a part of that too, it just comes from career working in, in corporate. Um, you, it's all about your network and mentorship. So it's being able to find people who who have knowledge and a skill set that you don't have. Mm -hmm. And then just, just go learn from them. Pick their brain. Buy them a coffee. Spend some time with them. Surround There's yourself with people smarter than yourself. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And become aware of what you lack um, be self-aware enough to admit that you don't have all the answers you don't have knowledge in a space and then go find somebody who does and then add that to your toolkit um, and in Absolutely. exchange you know they can definitely learn something from you and just pass yeah. that around you can mentor somebody else absolutely all right so um my final question what key takeaway would you like the listeners to get from your time here today I guess it's not my final question, but it's the final one that like of actual regular questions. <laughs> Take time to give back. And that's true in all things. And giving back is not about you. If it is, you're not giving back. I think a lot of times um, our our motivations in terms of what we require um, are, are really specific. Mm -hmm. But the best thing about giving back fully is when you do something for someone without expecting to gain anything of it in exchange. And a lot of times you do something, there's, there's, a lot of things that I do or have done that I don't talk about because that's not what it's about. Um, not looking for the attaboy. No. Um, and sometimes people will, will come to me for different things and, you know, I, 
help them out or give them advice and just be a real person just looking to, to help other people out i think we're we're in that don't feel like you need to compete in that in that a lot of times you know we're, we're competing for attention or we're competing with ourselves and content creators i think what stops a lot of networking is you look at people who are doing the same thing you are and you look at them as the enemy your competition or you know you get jealous if if they get something that you didn't how, how what a foolish way to look at things though it, it is but yeah. I, you know there's a lot of that in yeah. in this community and in any community really mm. um and once you start doing that you're you're really competing against yourself yeah <laughs> because yeah. for one thing it's you're doing people, self a disservice <laughs> people don't like to see that and when you're complaining you know it's kind of a turn off so it, it closes doors for people mm-hmm. um but also you're you're never going to be satisfied that way and you're also limiting yourself from really reaching out to that person and learning from them and they learning from you um you just take time to to give back for each for as much as you get make sure that you're you're putting time in to do something for somebody else it's that pay it forward standard yeah. um so what do you got coming up next and uh, how can people reach you yeah so we're we're closing out season two of the show uh in a huge way we've got the battle of appalachia coming um and now that that storyline wise we've come into wastelanders steel rain steel dawn um the npc characters that were introduced in fallout 76 are becoming part of our story which is creating some real problems and Hmm. many of the original voice actors from fallout 76 are coming back to voice the characters on the show uh which yeah, I, I noticed that that was really, really awesome really wild about um because now the um the production costs of the show are, are all out of the way for the year i got that out of the way now so the latter half of the season we're doing everything strictly for charity um so we're able to to bring in some voice actors to do it for charity uh, since you know they're they're sag after so they can't really do it otherwise nice that's a that's a nice little workaround i like that <laughs> yeah so there's there's stories with a cause uh, so <laughs> our our season two was gonna end with a bang that's great all right folks that's gonna do it for today i hope you enjoyed the show be sure to check out my guest's work and keep creating bye-bye thanks for having me goodbye everybody This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. When a wasteland detective and a vault girl cross paths, no criminal is safe. You're both under arrest. Don't move a muscle if you know what's good for you. Based in Bethesda's Fallout series, follow Walter and Bunny as they traverse the Texas Commonwealth and New Vegas, busting big crime rings. We'll need all we can to expand into Vegas territory. And surviving anything the wasteland can throw at them. It's him! It's the Mothman! Featuring a series of nail-biting narratives and guest stars from across the Fallout community. It's anybody's guess what thrilling case is up next. War never changes, does it, Bonnie? No, it certainly does not. True Vault Escapades, a Fallout audio drama. Available anywhere you get podcasts.